What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 65 of the Lombard Trucking Show. Thank you all once again for being here. Uh, right now at time of recording, I'm coming at you live from southwest Wisconsin. I'm not even going to try to bother to pronounce this name. It starts with a V. It's just south of a place called Westby. I'm en route. Yes, my truck still moves. If you're watching, I'll show you. Look up in that uh, top corner. You could see the <clears throat> corner of what was my front bumper. So my truck still works. It's moving. Um, I have an appointment booked for to get an estimate done back down uh, in tech in Central Texas. So we'll, we're working on that. Uh, we, we've got all the information from the gentleman who hit me. But the key is, um, you know, the truck is doing essentially what what you do during a marathon, where when you're in pain, when you're struggling, when you're falling apart, you keep going, and that's what we're doing at the moment. Uh, we delivered in Thunder Bay, got off those two conveyor belts, easy money. And I'm locked down to take another load out of the Quad Cities and bring it back down to Texas. But without any further delay, for those list, for those uh, listening, not watching, I got a very special guest with me today. An awesome gentleman, uh, an ambassador in the logistics industry. He's got an he's got an awesome job. He's also in business for himself. He's in the seafood game too, and we're going to get into that. But uh, just we'll get right into it, Mr. Blake West. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good man, how you doing? I, I'm I'm glad you're here. I know we tried to schedule you to come on earlier, but you're you're a busy man. You're a business owner yourself. Um, so yeah, let's you know what's your story, man. What's what's your life story? How'd we get here? Man, it's been a long 46 years to get to where I'm at today, man. Um, you know, I come from I live in Mississippi. I come uh, I grew up just uh, not too far from where I'm at now. Um, you know, I, I got a college degree that I never used. Um, where'd you, I, where'd you go to school? I, I just went to a community college and got my degree in uh, computer networking. Um, at the time when I got my degree, there wasn't a lot of jobs for that. And, uh, I had, I had trouble finding a job. So I, uh, went back to what I learned how to do at age 16 and that was lay brick. Uh, my whole family are brick masons. My daddy was a bricklayer, uncles. So I learned how to lay brick whenever I was about 16 years old. And that's kind of what I'd done when I got out of high school. And then uh, my wife and I, we actually, uh, we opened a pizza restaurant called Pizza Doctor. And uh, we made pizzas for a little while. It didn't work out. Went back to laying brick. Then I uh, went to college. When I got out of college, man, I just couldn't find a job in my field. So I started selling insurance. I've been selling stuff for uh, most of my entire career, man. And um, insurance went really well, you know, made decent money and um, just kind of went a different route from that, went into ad sales. And then uh, a guy offered me a job um, being a dispatcher. And I was, didn't know a damn thing about it. The only thing I knew about a truck was that I had to pass them going down the interstate and they delivered goods and services. So, man, I went on with him. Um, meager money, <laughs> very, very meager money. And uh, but he gave me the opportunity to learn how to learn this business, you know. And um, started working with him. We were at um, I forget the agency, um, England Logistics, CR England. Oh, he really? Was, yeah, he was an agent for them. And uh, he just kind of brought me under his wing and, you know, through a lot of trial and error and ball busting, I uh, learned this business, man. And um, 
eventually, you know, I think I worked with him for maybe six to eight months or so. And uh, the opportunity arose um, and I felt confident enough to break out on my own. Um, so I started with uh, Roadrunner. I got me an agency with Roadrunner. And um, I think the commission split with them was like 60-40, which was a lot better than, you know, it was where I was currently at as a sub-agent. And I hopped around from uh, different um, uh, different brokerages. You know, I was at uh, Nationwide Logistics for a while. And then um, this last agency that I worked under was uh, SPI Logistics. I loved SPI. Those guys are awesome, you know. Um, uh, Mike McCulloch, um, he's one of the like the big guys up there. Joe Chandler, he's another one. They uh, they run a great operation. They are a fantastic brokerage. Um, they seem they were always on my side, you know, um, and wanted to help grow. <clears throat> so you know, um, but you know, COVID hit us all. You know, um, when COVID happened. I, I mainly throughout my career, I've dealt, I've been, I've been broken freight for a little over a decade now. So I'm 10 plus in the game. Um, I've always seemed to gravitate toward fresh and frozen chicken. Cause that's kind of where, uh, that's what we done when I was in training was fresh and frozen chicken. And I've always done fresh and frozen chicken. But when COVID happened, you know, everybody felt it. Um, it everything got shut down. Well, I had this guy that um, um, needed a truckload moved and just through some networking, um, Roberto Zuckelman with Zugs LLC. Uh, Zugs is my shrimp club. You know, that's where I get uh, when I when I want to sell some shrimp or have an opportunity to sell some. That's that's my guy. Um, Roberto asked me, you know, I was moving some truckloads for him and he was like, hey, man, do you do any drayage? And I didn't know what the hell it was. Other, you know, I was familiar with it, but I didn't know anything about it. And he kept asking me. So, um, you know, I kept inquiring with other agents within SBI, you know, to get some quotes for drayage and maybe partner up and do some 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 business. There was one guy that gave me a little bit of information that I needed, but it was just enough information for me to dig deep and learn everything I could about this side of the business. Um, learn how to fish for carriers, which is very hard in the trade market. Um, but through that learning process, you know, it took me probably, I don't know, it took me a couple of months to land my first shipment. And once I did that, things went really well. Um, I say it went well. It was a little more complicated. And um, I think we wound up going over budget, but he was just glad to get it moved. So from there, man, it's just been networking. You know, any customer that I have has been a referral from someone else. Um, you know, I believe in relationships. I believe in relationship building. I think that's the cornerstone of any operation, especially in the freight world. Um, when I was uh, coming up learning this business, the guy that taught me, he was like, you know, you've got one person that you're accountable for, and that's the customer. Well, as I've been in this long enough, that's not correct. You know, we got two people. There's there's this third party logistics. So there's three parties involved. One, you got your customer. Two, you got your carrier. And we're just the intermediary. 
and I think that's the problem with a lot of guys in brokerage now is they're not looking out for the carrier who in return can bring them business and service their account equally as a broker can. So going in it at the model of I'm only in this for me and the customer is the wrong attitude to have. You know, um, it's been a lot of my product comes uh, into California. So we do we service that port and I've got one guy out there that services it very well. And he's the only one that I use out there. I don't even try to shop around. You know, I don't want a better rate. And um, that has served me very well going into partnerships with um, carriers and customers alike. Even on my website at um, DreLogistics.com, it says on there, you know, we don't have clients, we have partners. We have carrier partners and we have uh, customer partners because that's what it takes. But, you know, it served me well throughout my career um, building those types of relationships. But back to Roberto, you know, once he um, and I really, man, I have him to thank for, you know, where I'm at today, because if it wasn't for him, um, I wouldn't have got that first load. And uh, I don't speak to him as much as I used to. Um, he's not doing a lot of U.S. Uh, business right now. But, you know, man, it was the launching pad for a entire career change. And I came into it at the right time because COVID was over. Containers were backed up at the port. And like a lot of people, you know, I didn't ever want to see it end, but I knew it couldn't last um, as long as it did. Um, but it's been a wild game, man, in this uh, in this freight business. It's just amazing. Oh, absolutely. And so for the people who are listening who are maybe not too familiar with logistics terms, you'd best sum up dryage as anything that comes and goes via ship, right? That's yeah, dryage, yeah, your dryage market, you've got rail and you've got port. You know, rail is more intermodal type services, but anytime you've got a dry service, that's you're picking up at a rail depot or you're picking up at a port and it's going to some warehouse somewhere. And that's the actual, you know, definition of, of drayage, basically. No, perfect. Uh, well, let, yeah. let me let, uh, let's back up for a minute, actually, because I want to I want to I want to go over a few things you had mentioned. So, number one, yeah. you try to you try to open a pizza joint. I got to hear this. So I'm, I'm, I'm originally you know, from New England, from Connecticut. Um, I, I, I lived down in New Haven, West Haven for for several years, uh, which, you know, uh, you know, it's actually the pizza capital of the world. So I'm interested to hear what you, you know, what got you into making pizza one? Because I, I got to hear this, like down, because down in Mississippi, you know, I hate to, I hate to sound like such a nationalist to the pizza game, but like, I, I'm curious what brings somebody to start a pizza joint in Mississippi uh, only because like, did you have a, an Italian influence? Did you have a, did you have a brother show you this game? Man, I've, I've started delivering pizzas when I was 16 years old, working in high school. And uh, I mean, we just had a lot of fun. You know, there was a there was a lot of partying going on in the back of the house at the pizza shop for sure. And uh, some the guys that I worked for, man, they um, they had an opportunity for me to buy into their little franchise. And that's what we done, man. And we um, we devoted a lot of time to it, you know, but we, we eventually closed doors on it because, you know, hey, we were young. We were only 19 years old, so it was a it was a great opportunity. 
Well, I hey, some, hey, I still make some good homemade pizza though. <laughs> hey, hey, I love I love to hear it. If I'm swinging through north, you know, northeast Mississippi, now I know where to actually get something halfway decent. But hey, there's a good lesson out of that. You just said you were 19, and, uh, oh, yeah. and somebody approached you with a franchise opportunity of pizza joint. And number one, by the way, and for those, you know, for friends of mine who are listening, I've notoriously said that pizza delivery is one of the most patriotic jobs in America. I say that I, I said that very often. I actually, it's in my bio on Facebook still. Um, there, there is nothing more patriotic than pizza delivery because, you know, on the, on the receiving end of pizza delivery, it makes everybody happy. And there's nothing more patriotic than, you know, serving serving fellow americans and making them happy that's just i just had to go off on that but there's a real that's something to be said so and i come from a part of the country where this is very rare you'd never hear about a 19 year old if a 19 year old or if i was 19 living in connecticut or if any of my friends were 19 and they were offered a franchising opportunity to get into doing that just that idea doesn't exist and i've talked about this with our friend rust bell kid and i've talked about this several times in the show is in my neck of the woods like you're very convinced that your only pathways to success are high school and you have to go to college. Like college is a guarantee. It's just, if you don't go, that means, you know, you're, you're going to end up, you know, in, in the abyss or something like that. And this is awesome. What's, and what's, what's great is like, you know, you, you self-admittedly say, Oh, you know, we had to close doors and fail, but that's a learning experience that, that definitely walked you into, you know, walked you up into, you know, your, your current roles, which is, which is, pretty awesome i i gotta give you because at 19 if i was offered that opportunity i don't know if i would have taken it or had the confidence i'd be i'd i'd be wanting to party and go to the club and fist pump and stuff but you, you there know, was you put, partying involved <laughs> <laughs> okay so you had some you had some fun i got you we were, no we were completely vote we were completely devoted to the the pizza shop but you know we were we were young but yeah man i've had plenty of failures in my life you know it's been um I mean, it's part of success is failure. You cannot have success without any kind of failure. You know, I don't know of anybody that has come up through entrepreneurship uh, that hasn't had to learn some really hard lessons financially, emotionally, and, uh, you know, family related also, you know, because being an entrepreneur and having a business, it takes a toll on everyone involved. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going through that now a little bit with this being like my first quote unquote accident. And, you know, it's just me and my business partner, obviously are going to have a conversation, you know, once we find out how long the truck is going to be down for, which way we're going to pivot on things. And like, you know, our bills are paid, we're in a good position, but yeah, you said it does take a toll and that's why, you know, and love him or hate him. Uh, if you, you know, whether people like him or not, people always like to bring up, you know, former president Trump's bankruptcies and like the thing is when it comes to business so like right now if i wanted to i could dissolve the the llc i have declare bankruptcy and go on and go into the next business because like say for example my truck was totaled and i and like the cost to fix it like the overhead was too much and i'd just be underwater what that would take is i would have to declare bankruptcy but i would go ahead eventually after i can you know earn enough money back and try to start another business and something people don't seem to realize that that's like these are parts of businesses like just because you have bankruptcies, it's no different than if you were laid off or, you know, you or you quit and got another job. It's just in a business sense. So, yeah, no, well said about the, you know, you, you got to fail like fa failure is part of the resume of success. It's just that's exactly how you're going to get there. Next thing I wanted to mention. So you said you started with this is interesting with CR England. So we've mentioned CR England a lot on the show driver side. I know I've had a couple former CR England drivers uh, on uh, on the show, 
So when you started with them, you started off dispatching. Yeah, I was just a sub agent. No, the agent in charge was um, another guy. So, but you know, the um, I learned a lot from CR England. Um, those guys really got a good support team for their uh, brokerage side. Um, now so you, were I, the, you didn't deal with drivers at all. You were on the bro their brokerage team. No, I haven't dealt with drivers at all, other than just through you know the the three PL brokering the freight. Um, but you know, I'm not too sure about. Um, how well their brokerage division is anymore because I haven't dealt with anybody that's been in it, but, uh, CR England, you know, they're, they're a strong company. Um, their back office support was really what was really good. Um, and another thing that, uh, I used them for even when I wasn't at CR England was some of their intermodal stuff. I used to ship a train or a, a truckload of uh, frozen chicken from Washington, um, to Chicago they were my go-to people so. yeah no CR England I mean you they're on they're on rail uh, I've seen refrigerated mm -hmm. CR England on trains they, I mean they're I think I think uh, as far as I know I think they're all refrigerated trailers I'm not sure if they have a maybe they do have a drive van side and I don't really know I just from yeah. what I notice when I see CR England on the road it's that's well that's good to know that if anybody mm -hmm. listening is interested in getting into logistics because CR England is a starter company for drivers that I actually would never recommend anybody go to, but I guess on your side of the table, maybe it uh, it serves a purpose because they are a big operation. They're they're one of the they're one of the one of the largest mega carriers out there, and yeah. so perhaps on the, the brokerage or dispatching side of things, at least on that end, because like I said, with dispatching drivers, it's just that they, they treat guys like a number. But your job was obviously a little bit different. You were on the brokerage side of things, which is a right. whole, which is almost actually a different business that CR England. Has. It's the same thing with the carrier I'm under. Like I have a fleet manager who I keep in contact with and we, we find freight kind of together uh, and disseminate between loads. But then there's a brokerage side of Warren that, mm -hmm. you know, that there's a whole different side of thing. And then there's a customer service side. So that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But um, so COVID is really what got you into the, the drayage. Right. So yeah, so COVID doesn't happen. You're kind of stay, stay in that same path now with, so, we explained, you know, you, you walked us up how we got here. So what are some issues that you're you're coming in contact with now? What's going on on your side of the supply chain crisis? You know, um, I, the one thing that I can say is you always have to expect the unexpected in this business. Um, you know, things are going, um, of course, the past couple of years, every, every freight has been abundant. You know, we've had more freight than 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 we needed. And the uh, the margins have been great. Um, you know, the big thing after the first of this year that hit us most was not quite as much volume, but more in uh, revenue. You know, we've taken a big, big hit in revenue, uh, but it's to be expected, you know, because the brokers are feeling it just like the truckers are, uh, just like the shipping lines are, and just like the customer, you know, we're all in this together. Um, it's not just a one-way street. Uh, for for sure, but um, you never thought bird flu in another country would uh, cause you some heartache. But yeah, it has. It's giving me a headache right now. Um, since we're our volume is uh, where is down because we can't import anything yet. So you know it's uh, part of it. You never know what's going to what to expect in 
a completely different side of the world that can have an impact on uh, on your your volume and your uh, your business. It's it's wild to think about. People don't really realize. It's crazy because if you go on TikTok, you know, there are probably con- there's conspiracy theorists who will be like, "Oh, magic bird flu? Is this another organized another organized event against the world?" And it's really not because these things happen quite often. But what people don't seem to realize when it comes to the supply chain is the the butterfly effect that um that where something else can happen on the uh, in a different hemisphere and it affects the small business of somebody in no somebody in Mississippi that's right and i yeah and i think that's i think it's like i i said this on another episode i think people when it comes to flying like uh, i have a friend of mine who's a pilot and he says often you know that people sometimes forget the or they they um they don't appreciate the the miracle of flight and I think the same could be said in the logistics world today. Like, I don't think people seem to people definitely take advantage of our access to things like calories, you know, like like food. Like uh, people have, you know, people in the U.S. have taken advantage of things like the supply. There's not a lot of appreciation for the the invisible hands that do the movement of all this stuff. And like a bird flu going on, like that being one of your biggest challenges, because to somebody else right now who works for, you know, Meta or Facebook they could give a shit less, you know, but, but really it's affecting a small business. You had said something earlier that kind of, that actually made a lot of sense because it talks about, or it goes into like, you know, because I talk about like AI and stuff on the show. You talked about when it comes to being in business and your business and logistics, how, and this is actually the reason why we have the lost freight discord. It's everything that, uh, you know, our, our friend Reed talks about is the value of relationships in this industry. And I think that as more and more AI or automation and any of that technology comes into play and where it starts taking out the human element, I think that those relationships, I think that that's going to have a negative effect on the market. Are you seeing anything on that end? What do you know? What do you what do you think about that? I completely agree. You know, AI is so new to us. Um, You know, I've listened to a lot of you know, different podcasts and stuff about, um, you know, where, where AI is going and, you know, what we're looking at in the future. But I've been very interested in um, how AI can benefit um, us, brokers, truckers alike. Now, the Lost Freight Discord is freaking awesome, dude, um, because I've met, you know, people through this like you, Reed, um, some of the other guys, uh, Wasabi, I'll name him off, um, 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 JC Forwarding, and uh, Curant, Joe McGee from, uh, I think it's Curant, but anyways, um, oh yeah, and I can't forget El Dorado, man, he's uh, he's got this TMS that kind of, you know, he built, which is, uh, a lot of this stuff is brand new. And a lot of these guys are using AI to better their service. And I want to tap into that. You know, if it's something new um, that can benefit me, then that's what I want to gear towards, you know, because anything I like using new stuff, you know, I like to demolish and I like to rebuild and I want to be in the process of things that are going on like that. Like El Dorado's got his TMS uh, stuff going on. Um, um, freight, freightbroker.ai, I think is what it is. Well, in the drainage market and in our intermodal industry, we don't know, like, um, you know, the big guys like, um, internet truck stop, um, 
some of the other platforms uh, for TMS software, they don't, they don't have, they're not integrated for drayage, like the accessorials and the needs that dray providers have. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, El Dorado's got his thing going on. Um, and I, I think that's a really cool thing um, that, that he's doing. And, and it can, you know, it's kind of ground floor type stuff. But to be able to use that um, and create that service, uh, and he's used a lot of AI to do that. I, I think if we um, will do, you know, we're building these relationships. Um, if somebody knows more than I know, um, I can get that info from them because, you know, I'm probably past my prime on learning about AI as much than, than some of these younger cats out here that, that do it on the regular. So, no, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned El Dorado's thing because that's so that's a crazy thing that we see in this industry and not a lot of people have known about because I've had this conversation with other people is there, especially over the last 10 years, there have been a lot of tech companies, startups um, come and go, come in and out of the industry uh, because we, what's, you know, most people, outsiders who come in, they look at the logistics industry and they see that it's, you know, a billion or a trillion dollar a year industry, you know, whatever the num numbers are. They see that there's all this money being made throughout the industry or they know that a truck could revenue a quarter million dollars a year revenue. You know, that's that's gross. They see what trucks can make. They see what they can do. And these tech companies come in and they want to and they all come in with a new TMS software. They all want their own TMS software. And then it ends up it ends up not working and it's almost the market's almost been flooded like you said on that side but el dorado's come in that's the thing people don't seem to realize like you can only make so much of the same thing you can't make the same thing any better than it is unless it actually is gonna make things better you know so many people try to make this software and they always want to simplify things even like even a, a company like uber freight like uber tried to get in the freight market uber freight's already looking to sell you know because they they you know they kind of went in over their head but like so El Dorado's got on the drayage side. So what like what is his software been doing for you? You know, kind of kind of explain what is, you know, if you had to sell it to other people in drayage, what's it what's it been doing? Um, well, I, I just got signed up with him um, just a few days ago. But, um, you know, he's already made some integrations into like what kind of accessories. On the drain side, it's accessorials, man. I mean, there's so many accessorials, you know, on the truck side, you got the line haul. And you got the lumper fee, layover, detention, whatever it is. Well, on the dray side, you've got the line haul, you've got uh, the fuel surcharge, you've got demurrage, chassis use, overweight. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And a lot of your carriers, you know, they'll have their own separate page of tariffs that they have. And we have to do that too on our side. But to have a TMS that, um, can offer those things built in without having to build it um, is very, very useful to someone like me. Um, your bigger companies, you know, like, I don't know, we'll just use, we'll just use England for example, you know, they got their TMS. I don't know if it's in house or who they use. They may use um, someone else for their TMS, but they're not going to have a lot of those uh, options. You know, I have um, um, I've got an account with Internet Truck Stop for ITS Dispatch, and even they don't have it in there. So, you know, someone's software like FreightBroker.ai for Eldorado, 
uh, it's got some lot of potential. It, it definitely has a lot of potential there. Um, but you know, um, and that's what's so important about relationships. You know, if we can all put our heads together, I mean, we, we can be a dangerous machine. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it, especially in the small in the world of small business. And I don't think people realize that when small businesses get together and work together and build these types of relationships, you can find that like there's more ownership of the market. You know, it, you know, we've talked a lot about deregulation on the show. Like when, when, you know, the unions on the trucking side of things, when the labor kind of owned more of the market, well, we could still do that without, without necessarily having an official union. But if you have strong relationships, cause we're all in the same industry, it's not like we're competing. It's not like we're competing to create something better, you know, when it comes to carriers, cause carriers do the same thing. You know, like a carriers don't make better products, you know, they're like they, they don't make, they don't make carriers aren't building trucks or anything like that, but carriers no, are, are, should be responsible for hiring and training good talent uh, on that side. Same thing on the brokerage side of things. Like you're not inventing anything as a, as a broker, All you know, you're, you're an intermediary, you're, you're buying and selling freight. So it's like, yeah, it, 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 we're not competing in a sense of we're trying to create a better product or sell a better product. But so if we all work together in a different way, you can find that we can kind of, you know, make a lot happen. That's why that whole like this has been Reed's message on TikTok that he's been saying, like on the brokerage side. And you mentioned it earlier, you know, if if carrier because that's the thing, the disconnect is carriers are for the most part looking at load boards and freight via boards as the tender of freight. You know, and I'm going to say that from Reed where carriers look at a broker as like a one time Yep, use you once, on to the next. And brokers will do the same thing because brokers are so desperate to find a carrier. Like you you already, I mean, you said finding carriers was difficult, especially ones near you, because you can find a carrier and then he's like, oh yeah, I got 50 trucks. So they're all in, you know, they're, they're all here. They're all not where you need them. So it's like on those ends, and it's just if you, if just one by one, you start building those relationships, the power of kind of coming together in the logistics world could be so, so much better, which I find fascinating and it's crazy how it's not mainstream part of me makes me think it's by design so that way that the the englands and the and the uh you know the jb hunts of the world can you know they don't want us to communicate they don't want us to talk and they want us divided separated hating each other they're loving the drama right now they are they want to suck up all the small carriers for sure you know i mean that's i mean that's just business you know i mean it is just business that that's they have a business model you know, they're all competing against each other. And if they see an opportunity to buy up a small carrier for, you know, a decent price or someone who's going bankrupt, they're going to do it. I'd do the same thing. You know, most people would if they had the uh, if they had the means and the methods to. But, you know, um, a small group of people, for instance, like on Lost Freight here, um, you know, us putting our heads together to come up with, you know, we're not going to reinvent the wheel, but damn it, we can squeak it a little bit, you know, to make it run better. And that's kind of what, you know, that's what I'm interested in is um, building those relationships to be able to benefit all of us. Um, and I don't think we're going to progress unless we actually do that. You know, um, I've got a very small um, carrier base. I don't use a lot of carriers. Um, I, I have my go-tos at each port that we, uh, that we do, and that's just who I rely on, you know, and I get phone calls all day long, 
trying to find out if I got freight to move or, or whatever, or some dispatching service with 500 people talking in the background, trying to get me to that. Oh, we got, we got, you know, capacity at every port and every rail terminal. I'm like, well, yeah, you do right now. Everybody does. Um, you know, when I move some truckload stuff too, I move some ref uh, refrigerated loads, but you know, I outsource that to, um, another guy, um, who is a, uh, who's a broker as well, because one, I've been out of moving truckloads for so long. I absolutely hate posting a load on DAT or wherever and trying to negotiate that call. I like contract rate um, if I can get it, you know, so I partnered with them, man. And, you know, I landed these contract rates and uh, worked with them, getting the rates, uh, built a relationship on their end. And they do a great job, man. They do a great job. Um, they do a pretty good uh, uh, carrier vetting. Um, they've been in business for a long time. They're not a large company, um, but, you know, it's worked out pretty well. Now, so who's this you partnered with? Is this like a, a compliance company that's vetting these carriers? Who's no, no, no. Um, Convoy Logistics out of Crossett, Arkansas. Um, are my guys that uh, that do a lot of my truckload stuff. And we don't do a lot. We just do a little bit. It fills in the gap, you know. Um, convoy, convoy, like who has the load board? Uh, no, 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 not them. This is different. This is Convoy Logistics. Um, um, yeah, it's not it's not those big guys. Yeah, not those not those guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not those yeah, guys. Good to know. Small, small guys out across at Arkansas. But yeah, man, Justin Reed over there, it's his name, man. He does a he runs a pretty good operation. They do you know, they uh, they seem to take care of their carriers, man. You know, haven't they haven't called me complaining. Uh the guy that does the stuff, man, he sets the appointments and um it seems like he's concerned about if the driver is not going to be able to make appointments, you know, what's, what's going to happen. And I like that too, you know, because man, as much as we want everybody to be on time and not be late and all this, it happens, you know, it always is going to happen. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, tires blow out people back in D at truck stops in uh, Clive, Iowa, you know, that things, yeah, things snags always happen. You can't, uh, yeah, no, nothing's in a perfect world. So let's actually—I'm interested though. So like, let's talk. Let's talk about me and you. So you work with carriers, you know. Say I was a motor carrier and I want to move some move some of your freight. What do you What are you looking for in a, in a carrier? Like, so right now you say you work with very few carriers and you're probably a little bit slow, you know. But say, you know, say this is an average market and you're looking for a carrier, you know, who who are you looking? For? You know, I'm in I'm in Central Texas. You know, if I'm a if I'm a one truck show, can I move stuff out of the Port of Galveston for you? What do you got going on? Yeah, you actually could, as long as you could get into the Port of Galveston. But you know, um, you know what I look for in the carriers. Um, I used, to, I always like to do a phone conversation with somebody prior, and just ask them just some normal everyday questions, like I would anybody, you know. And I can tell from just a conversation with somebody, you know what I'm dealing with, you know, cause I, I can kind of pick up on how much somebody knows if they're just a fly by night guy or whatever, but we can always be fooled for sure. Um, but you know, um, now I've gotten where I'll run a carrier 411 on someone just to check them out. But you know, even I, my entire business that I've been in, I've never reported a carrier and I've never blacklisted a carrier. And I've said this on the discord because Odds are 
my load's going the carrier that I have on a load is going to fall out at 3 p.m. The load is fresh chicken has to be picked up at 5 p.m. And that guy's the only guy within 150 mile radius that can pick up that load. So I've done that plenty before. I've had some bad carriers that I said I would never use and that I used again and it worked out great. Um, you know, so a lot of people, you know, especially a lot of the big guys, you know, they're looking and they're trying to evaluate their safety rating and, you know, looking at, you know, carrier 411 to see what's going on with them. And that's a good start, but I don't let that be the determining factor of if I'm going to use someone or not, you know. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm cautious about who that I use. But hey, I'll give anybody a shot. You know, it may cost me three or four hundred dollars, but, you know. It'll tell me that I'm either a I'm going to use them again or b I'm not. No, this is good. We don't we don't talk about carrier vetting enough, and I think that's something because obviously this is a, this is a trucking show, so we always speak from the uh, you know the opinion, and I always speak from the bias of the carrier side of things. So it's good to I mean, but at the same time, you know, we do go into the fact that there are a lot of fly by nights, there are a lot of crooks, especially out of places like Chicago. There's there's mafia out there, people who fly outside of the radar, falsify logs, you know, they run shoddy equipment, you know, there are just in, in deregulation is what kind of did this, you know, uh, you know, to go back to, to trucking topics, like when you open up the market, you know, when they, when they, you know, eliminated freight rates and crushed the unions and, you know, and you lower the standard and you do just let anybody, anybody you want come in the market, you're going to have large retailers come in, but you're also going to have, you know, the shady people come in with it. And that's, that's kind of what makes the business to business. But let, let's, you know, let's, um, Let's let's actually talk, you know, business real quick. So say, for example, I get my own DOT. I buy a chassis. We are we working together or what? Oh, we're working together. Yeah, yeah. What is, we're what's, working together. So I'm going to say so Port of Galveston, I've got a twick card. What uh, you know, what what lanes do you have coming out of coming out of Galveston? I'm trying to land uh, my customer that I have now. I've been working on Houston real hard for them. Um, I, I've moved some freight for them, but I guess my rates just haven't been right to land it yet. But, you know, new RFPs are coming up and uh, we're going to see what happens. I've been really wanting to get Houston pretty bad. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of freight out of Houston that used to go to the border. Um, my guy would import it here, it would get inspected, and then we would uh, we would dray it down to McAllen, Texas uh, to put it in the cold storage there, and, and then they'd bring the container back. So, oh yeah, we're working together, man. Sure enough. Okay, then, then we're, yeah, we're going to regroup offline because this could be an interesting conversation. I'm only yeah. two hours from, from Houston, and I can get into the port. I've been to ports before. I kind of mm -hmm. know how it works, and you know, this is this this is what it's all about right here. And if we, if there's a way we can Hey, we can figure something out, you know, seafood, because that's the thing. Seafood needs to get out of there. There's a lot of crawfish that I'm sure moves moves out of the port of Galveston. There must be a lot of a lot of heat coming out. So we're, we're we might have to crack into Houston together. Yeah, absolutely. See, like I mentioned earlier, I can't get away from chicken. That's about all I do now is we we import frozen chicken from uh, from overseas, and that's where it comes into. But people got to eat chicken, man. People love to eat chicken. And that's what I like about doing uh, refrigerated products, especially consumer-based refrigerated products, is um, there's going to usually be a need for that, you know? Oh, yeah. They, food, dude, like I said, people, dude, if the shell, when food, I mean, imagine uh, what, a what a town would do if, dude, I mean, I'll never forget this. There was a Burger King in West Haven where they, they ran, like, they didn't have, they only actually were, had chicken. 
at, at the Burger King. Like they ran out of burgers or they did something happened with their refrigerator, some shit. It said on the drive-thru sign, like no, no more burgers, <laughs> like only chicken available. And man, that like people complained on Facebook about it. Like, so, I mean, imagine you imagine what happens if like Popeye's is like closed for today. If, if like a Popeye's or if just anything, Bush's chicken, any of them, you know, PDQ, Chick-fil-A. Imagine if a Chick-fil-A had to close on any day that wasn't Sunday. There'd be fucking, dude, there'd be pitchforks. Oh, yeah. If that happened. So where does it, so actually, where does this, well, number one, I'm, I've been up in Arkansas a lot and I've gone on runs and I've been behind a chicken truck and it smells like shit. So wait, so we're importing chicken. I felt like we had enough chicken here. Where are we importing our chicken from? Well, not I can't disclose that information because it right. may give away my customer. But anyways, we Brazil is a very large importer now. JBS um, JBS Corporation, they own they've got the market cornered on poultry. You know, JBS owns a lot of. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure if Pilgrims if they got bought up by JBS, but you can just Google JBS Brazil they they're heavily they're they're a worldwide importer or exporter of uh poultry products so yeah man we get a lot of a lot of our food is imported from overseas you know tyson and pilgrim's pride and those guys you know they can't do it all um but you know the uh the people that i work with man they're fully integrated they grow their own seed they feed their own flock with that seed um, they produce their own birds and then they ship out worldwide um they're they've got a good product you know their their quality is uh is, is really good so um you know you never know where you get where your food comes from you know yeah, yeah. a lot of the times it's coming from overseas but kind of depends on uh you know the country of origin whether it's you know above par or not you know I'm, gonna have I'm, to, all, about, I'm all about my american you know but you know when it comes to a bird it's still a bird so yeah it doesn't really matter well i'm parked at a walmart i'm gonna go inside i'm, I'm gonna take 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 a look at maybe the chicken they have see if they're see if they're lying but okay so we, we talked about chicken now what what do you got going on with shrimp as a so me like i mentioned earlier, i'm a native new englander from connecticut i'm also you know i'm a i'm a snob when it comes to pizza but i'm definitely a seafood nationalist i love seafood fried any which way you got it i'm gonna piss off my main friends again the best lobster roll you can get is in connecticut sorry but butter's better than mayonnaise go to you know, lobster landing in clinton connecticut I, i'll tell you you're not wrong but i love shrimp my dad loves shrimp my dad it, like is known for shrimp cocktail best shrimp cocktail i've ever had is definitely saint elmo's steakhouse saint elmo's steakhouse in indianapolis uh which is crazy because it's in the middle of the country crossroads of the world but uh and for me to be but overall seafood in general new england is king i love shrimp what yeah what's your, that's your thing that's you know we talk about it all the time what do you got going on with the shrimp why is that your your brand well you know i've the guy that got me into the drayage market is a shrimp importer, right? And um, he took he just out of the blue one day he was like, um, you know, you think you can sell some shrimp? You know, try. And uh, he helped me land this guy down in uh, New Orleans, and it was go it worked out pretty well, man, because he's an importer. He buys from um, Ecuador primarily is where he um, imports his shrimp from. 
There's something about the taste of Ecuadorian shrimp that is really good when it comes to farm-raised um, shrimp. Um, it's just got a little bit, it's, it seems like it's a, a meatier, cleaner tasting um, product. Now, there, you know, anytime you import shrimp, most often they're, they're just Vaname shrimp, which is just a, you know, any kind of shrimp you get. But man, when you're set, when you're selling container loads of shrimp, um, one, there's a lot of competition out there, believe it or not. Two, you got to know your stuff and the market fluctuates really quick. Um, you know, so what, what you're trying to buy for today, you know, next week, it may be a lot cheaper because those farms in Ecuador, they are, um, you know, everybody from the world is buying from Ecuador, you know, China, India, France, or Europe market. Um, and the U.S., but, you know, right now, the way the market is in the U.S. and as tight as money is, shrimp's a luxury item. So shrimp sales are down in the U.S. Um, you know, the I'm, European I'm going to change that. Huh? <laughs> I'm going to change that. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But, you know, it was very interesting to get into that avenue. And if, if I could sell a container load today, you know, I would jump all over it. Um, the margins are really good on, uh, on you know, the, the shrimp sales, obviously. But um, it's very interesting whenever you, you delve into something like that to learn that side of the business, um, especially when it's, um, you know, like a, this is a trucking show. And I know a lot of truckers are like, um, you know, complaining because the broker's getting all this money and the shippers got all this money to pay. But in reality, man, that's not really so, you know, to a, to a large degree, because a lot of your, um, a lot of, at least on the food side of the business, um, a lot of your shippers, man, they're working with pennies on the pound, you know, because that's how you that's how you make money. You don't make money off the product. You make money off of the pound. You might have 40,000 pounds worth of product, but that doesn't mean that you're making money off of the weight. You know, you're making money off of the percent per pound. And right now in this market, man, a half a penny a pound can make or break a deal. Um, you know, and when you think of a half of a cent, it, I mean, when you add that times 40,000, I mean, it's it's a it's a little bit of a money, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's razor. Uh, those are razor thin. Yeah, you got razor thin margins, especially when you're competing with, uh, you know, um, bigger seafood importers. Um, you know, I, I could name a few, but there's some really large ones out there that, you know, that buy from Argentina. You got Argentine Reds, which are, they're a great, you know, product. Um, but then you've got your, um, you got your smaller guys like us, you know, just trying to sell to, you know, just a, a small distributor and on the coast somewhere, or even some larger people who are going to repack the stuff and sell it as a, as their own brand. Um, that's the thing about the food industry, you know, even on the uh, imports of chicken, you may be importing this product, but it's going to, it may go somewhere to be repacked in a, you know, in a Kroger bag and sold at Kroger as Kroger's brand, you know, and that's the that's the way most all of our food products are. You know, um, Tyson may buy from Sanderson Farms just because they're running low on a certain type of, of product. You know, 
Yeah, the amount of uh, it, it, that happens a lot in the beer industry, like contract brewing. Like a lot of like people will have a beer and then they'll pay. Like this happens a lot in Connecticut. Like I will invent a beer, brew it myself, and it's a great recipe. And then I'll pay somebody like New England Brewing Company or Counterweight or somebody to, to brew it for you and then slap your label on it or, so, or something like that. So, that, yeah, people don't seem to realize how much that happens with with, uh, with food in this country, especially especially with the way the laws work. You said something. Now, I've lambasted against brokers on this show before, uh, especially in dealing with them last year. And I think la- from what I've learned and from what I now see, especially just from building relationships, is I think la- so brokers and, and on the driver side of things, there's very similar. It's very similar meat and seats. There's a milling industry going on with brokers, just like with high turnover rates, at, especially at places like TQL, CH Robinson, et cetera. Same thing with carriers like drivers, you know, every 90 days or, you know, I talk about driver turnover a lot on the show. So it's kind of this. But last year, I feel as though when rates were still, you know, kind of okay, like good, but the fuel was five, six dollars a gallon. At that point, I think that there was some hoarding on um, broker sides because the fuel start like fuel surcharges really weren't there. Negotiating started going away. But now is the truth. So on TikTok, we're still seeing drivers um, who want to protest against rates. They, they're mad. You know, there's a lot of people clamoring for broker transparency. And I get it. But I, I really think that it's just it's a losing battle, this whole like trying to see what the broker's making. Because if the shipper, if it, like if the shipper ever found out or if shippers knew that there was like this gro- like this entire cabal of brokers who were like screwing if you know, screwing over because in, t- in theory, if brokers are taking more money or, or uh, than, than they're giving to the carrier and shippers found out, they'll, they're, the shippers going to be the first motherfuckers to be like, uh, hey, why am I paying you all this money if the truck isn't even getting like if the truck can't afford fuel? So the, if the shippers found out that brokers were like hoarding the money because they're hurting too, the shippers would just be like, well, I'm, I'm going to cancel our contract or not use you. I'm just going to go straight to the carrier. And so like. Are there still shady brokers? Are there brokers doing it? Yes, 100%. Will dro- broker transparency uh, fully expose and end it? No. The, the issue is the, the economy is more in the tank than people need to realize. And you just like, you, and you're, you're explaining that. Like, you're telling, like, on your side of things, it's slower. You know, I'm trying to sell containers of shrimp. Shrimp sales are even down. People, are, you know, people aren't buying as much. Like, people don't seem to realize. And I think what, what we're starting, like, People grew, started trucking companies and scaled and grew their businesses and underwrote them based off of the spot market, not building relationships, not, you know, building a book of clients. That's in any other business. This doesn't exist. It does not exist to run off of just to be a fly by night type of person. Like anybody who opens a business stays in business because of repeat customers like that. That's how it works. And at the same thing will apply on the trucking side. Any of the major mega carriers, they got to as big as they are because they worked with brokers or or people or customers that gave them continuous amounts of freight. And that's why they were able to grow in the way they are. And that's what we're seeing. It's just there is less freight moving. People need to realize the economy, we, the recession is already here. You know, we, we, and that that's the factor when it comes to this argument of transparency. Do, do, do brokers need more oversight? Yes, because carriers have it too. I think brokers definitely there are already rules on the book per the FMCSA regarding transparency. There's like so the rules just need to be enforced. And I think brokers definitely need oversight because we have a lot of fraud. That's what's worse because the fraud's killing you, too. 
There's a lot of fraud coming from Eastern Europe, double brokers, carriers registered to one address in California or all these addresses in Chicago. Like you, there's it, it, the, the industry is uh, riddled with so much fraud. So, yeah, there needs to be more oversight. But like a war between like either, you know, the brokers and carriers, it's just it's just not it's just, you know, not relevant. So I'm, I'm definitely glad you brought it up. But so if, if I could ask you, who's got the best shrimp, though? So Ecuador's the king. Who do you think? Where where's really the strength? Argentina is probably the king, but Ecuador is going to be second in line. I mean, you got India swooping in too with a huge market, um, but you know they're 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 not quite as, in my honest opinion, they're not as superior as Ecuadorian shrimp. Man, Ecuador's got it going on now. So, so but, you know, is trying to come in the shrimp game. Oh, India's been in the shrimp game, man. Yeah, they've got a lot of lot of farms, a lot of large farms over there. Uh, and India's got a, you know, they got a decent product. I'm not going to knock it, but you know, Ecuador, uh, that's where you farm. That's the best farm raised, in my honest opinion, comes from. So, now, you know, so what? What about my what? What am I eating in New England? Am I actually catching shrimp off the coast well, of? You know, man, now, what's, what's what now, do they got going? The U.S. market now, we've got some great shrimp. You know, the wild Gulf caught. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys down there in the Gulf, man. They've got some great shrimp. You know, they got great product. And I tell you what, if you call them trying to get them to buy some imported stuff, they'll just hang up the damn phone on you, man. They're like, I don't want that. I'm not dealing with any importers, you know. But, you know, I mean, everybody, when times are slow and when the the catch is not as good, you know, that year, I mean, they're going to have to outsource just like anybody else. So they're going to look to importers to uh, to buy a product from them. So it's it's real interesting, man, when you when you get into a whole completely different avenue of transportation on that side of it, because, you know, I know what it's like to be a customer. Um, I'm I, I'm really and I don't mean to sound biased on this, but I am pro customer because one, I wouldn't have a job without them, but also you know, I've worked with enough guys. I've worked with exporters, um, um, uh, poultry exporters that ship stuff down to Mexico. Uh, and I learned a lot about, you know, the export uh, to Mexico side and uh, the challenges involved in getting your product, one, sold and two, getting it to, to its destination. Man, I've shipped thousands of reefer loads of chicken down to Laredo, man. I mean, I've done it for a long time. It's a headache, man. It is an absolute headache trying to deal with that stuff. But, you know, um, it was a learning process. And, and I know what I don't want to do again. I don't want to have to do chicken loads to Laredo anymore. You know, we were talking about we were talking about the poultry or the uh, bird flu earlier. A few years ago. I had three or four trucks uh, sitting at Laredo and a couple on the way down there with some with some poultry product. And there was a small residential farm out in maybe, I don't know if it was Arizona or Southern California somewhere. They had an outbreak of um, uh, avian flu. They shut the entire border down for for, for uh, poultry exports. You couldn't get any poultry exports out. And it was that way for a few days, you know, until they done their research and figured out where it came from. I mean, it was just a small, you know, farm, nothing major, but, but it shut the whole border for exports down. And one, made, one farm. 
off of one small little farm and that's you know that's what happens uh when we have a an outbreak in uh any kind of um any kind of farm poultry farm like that yeah man they'll shut down exports because the other countries don't want you know they're not gonna they don't want it you know if it's infected with any kind of bird flu or any kind of contaminants yeah so even if it, that was a wild ride that week yeah where even if it gets out they're just gonna throw it away nobody's gonna buy it that's I, I actually I know I know we're running long on time, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because number one, I'm down in Laredo quite often, and I know it's, uh, I mean, I it's it, the city itself. People have no idea. It's you know it's the largest port of entry, you know, for for freight in the U.S. And I don't think people realize just how you know insane like so much of our country runs in and out of Laredo. But I wanted to ask you about that import export process because I actually just dealt with this. I technically brought a load that originated in Mexico into canada and i almost got hemmed up i was bringing those these conveyor belts the thing is the load originated in mexico as in the uh, piece was manufactured it was trucked to the border across the border and the product itself only moved through the united states technically i was supposed to declare this at the u.s border i didn't because there's no signs that said to um i had this import manifest you know this manifest that's supposed to get stamped i just went to the canadian guys they looked at the man, the import manifest. They're like, oh, we don't need this. And they just stamped me going into Canada, went and delivered it. And then on my way back out, they're like, they were like, oh, hey, buddy, you were supposed to come get this stamp, you know, up here before us, you know, before you go, you know, next time you'll get really hemmed up, you could pay a bunch of fines for it. You know, they were, they were giving me shit. But, you know, since I was at probably the quietest border crossing in the, in the country at the time, they, you know, they didn't really give me a hard time. So I was wondering, like, so the import process, like, so if you're getting it, if you're importing shrimp, what yeah, what's that process looking like? What what do they do? You know anything about what they do? Like well, how it comes the, off ship? Yeah, I mean you're the you gotta you gotta be an importer. You gotta be registered with the U.S. Uh, you know FDA USDA. You gotta be registered as an importer. Um, and when your product comes from overseas and it gets to the U.S., I mean it's gonna go through the normal uh, processes. They may stop a container um, to do a USDA inspection or something like that. I mean, it all has to clear customs and border patrol. Um, and sometimes it can be a, a lengthy process, you know. Um, but as long as you're you're a registered importer, um, you know that you they kind of know whose product it is, um, and if you have so there's there's different levels of USDA inspections, right? Like I've seen them where they will take um, you'll have to take your container to a cold storage, right? You'll have to put it in cold storage, and then the FDA will come and take samples of that product and test it for whatever they want to test it for, and then they'll clear it, and then you can pick it up and go take it to the the, the customer. But you know that can take weeks or several days or something for that to happen. And as far as your um, the customer side, that container is still packing up uh, per diem charges after three days. Um, it's just it's it gets very very expensive, man. You can run into thousands and thousands of dollars um, in demurrage and per diem when you're dealing with the FDA because they don't care. You know they're just like oh well you know it's got FDA hold on it. We got to do our thing. It's going to take a day or two or whenever we can get to it since we're big bureaucracy. We're just not going to be any hurt. So, yeah, I, I, I always curious about that. Cause I know I've been, we, we move a lot of tractors, uh, you know, to in and out of the port of Baltimore and when, and 
I, and I've been told by the people at Warren, they're like, oh, you know, this load should become available tomorrow. They're still waiting on this tractor to, to clear customs. And I'm like, what the fuck does the tractor need to clear customs for? Like, what are they, what, what do they need to, you know, search it for? Like, I, I'm just trying to wonder, like, what are they exactly doing? Like, it's just an inanimate object. And I'm wondering what it needs to necessarily clear, like what inspection they do it. And I felt like on the food side, it was probably like a huge, huge issue. So there's companies that are just importing companies or does the actual or does like JBS, are they an, are an authorized importer? They're going to have U.S. holdings also. Um, what I mean by that is they're going to have, you know, a U.S. address, U.S. tax ID number and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and they're going to be registered importers with the U.S. Um, and that's kind of what um, that's kind of what you have to be if you're going to import product, because not, you know, um, when you're dealing with uh, especially food grade items and things like that, they want to know who you are and what you're shipping into the country. You know, they want to be able to contact you if they have any issues. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I can't wait for the night. Next time I go out to eat, I'm going to make sure I ask, like, hey, is this Argentina? Is this Ecuador? I need to know. And I'm going to piss the server off because they're probably not even going to fucking know. But the good way to do it, man, anytime you go to the grocery store and you buy a product, you just look at the back of the, especially with shrimp, you look on the back of the package, and it'll say product of India or product of Ecuador or product of Nicaragua or whatever it is. Uh, most all of our seafood, at least in that we buy from the supermarkets, is imported from somewhere. Really? Oh, good to know. No, see, this is this stuff. This is why it's why I do the show so people can learn, man. This information isn't out there. I mean, people aren't going to necessarily always look for this. But and, and if, if there are any brokers listening to the show or even trucking companies, the best way to find a good customer is to read the label on the packaging. Yeah. And you to find out who it is, where it's coming from and you know who you need to call. <clears throat> yeah. You the best lead you'll find. Yeah, that, those are your lead. Yeah, people have no idea when it comes to business. Your leads are right in front of you. Nobody's going to give you a list. You could just find it out. I mean, that's it's kind of what I'm doing. It's kind of what I'm doing out here. Like every time I see a truck, every time I see a bag of mulch, you know, that's the thing. Like I could, there's a there's pallets of mulch right behind me. I could just go look up that company, call them. Hey, who, hey, who moves your mulch? You know, where are you guys at? out of. That's you know, people don't get you know you you said it at the beginning of the show, and I think it's a great place to leave it. I mean, you started out selling insurance. You, know, you started out in sales and i mean that's what sales is just conversations like uh, it's just having conversations like it doesn't matter whether you're selling something or not whether you, like whether whether you're going to get a yes or no you just need to have conversations with people and build relationships and then the sales come with it. that's right that's it and that's exactly. how it is. But if i were up in if i were you know trying to sell ice cubes to eskimos i would want the cleanest ice cubes that i could possibly find to try to sell to those guys you know yeah, and there's and guess what? There's somebody who's gonna make them, and there's somebody who's gonna fucking truck them. Somebody's got to get them there. <laughs> exactly. But dude, I want to I want to thank you a lot for for coming on. I, I appreciate you doing this. I know you're busy. I know it's you know it is a crazy market out there. But but you know before we sign off, are you are you on social media at all? Do you have any contact information for anybody who might be looking for you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at at Dre Logistics, uh, and I'm on Facebook Dre Logistics. Uh, I'm not sure I don't use Facebook much, man. It's kind of a dinosaur. Uh, Twitter, yeah, you can find me on the Twitter, that's for sure, man. You know, that's kind of my only social media avenue, but yeah, absolutely. Or you can go to my website, DreLogistics.com, you know, got some money, check us out. You know, yeah. Sign up to be a carrier, man. I'm looking for people all the time to move some stuff when I have some stuff to move. Hey, yeah, and we're, we're going to talk on that soon because, hey, I, like I said, it 
with the with tax season coming around, if we can manage a chassis and look at the the underwriting of becoming a, a DOT, well, you know, there, there's something there. I'm not far from Galveston, so and you don't even need, you don't even need a chassis, man. You can use the port's chassis. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other beast. The port has the chassis, chassis usage, uh, everything with the Jones Act, all the all that stuff. Yeah, that's crazy stuff. So we'll be in touch on it too. But definitely go follow him at Dre Logistics on Twitter. We're we're making freight Twitter a thing. No, we're not even making it great again. We're just making freight Twitter. Exactly. You know, we're, we're, making, we're making it great. So come 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 follow him at Dre Logistics. You know where to find me everywhere at Lombard Trucking. I want to thank all of you once again for listening uh and as always if you ever want to talk you know i'll be here thanks guys